You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome to season three, episode two. For Emily and I, dyslexia awareness is an everyday push, but we also want to highlight that the month of October is dedicated to dyslexia awareness. And one of the great things that we've seen is within the last 10 years or so, we've seen this big push or these big influences for dyslexia awareness and changes in legislation and curriculum coming from grassroots organizations like Decoding Dyslexia here in the United States, as well as Made by Dyslexia, which is over across the pond in England. And so Decoding Dyslexia here in the States is a parent group within each state, and they're really creating some big changes in how people are viewing dyslexia and the laws that are getting put into place within each of the states. And then in England, Made by Dyslexia is really leading the way in creating shifts in the narrative surrounding dyslexia. So with this in mind, we wanted to share some tips for talking to parents about dyslexia, as well as how parents can speak to their children about dyslexia. So that is our episode today. Before we get started, we always love to look at some reviews. We really appreciate them. So this review is from Read ICA, and it says, love this show. A great podcast to inspire teachers and send them on the road to do their best for children with dyslexia. I listen to every episode and can apply what I've learned directly to my classroom. Thank you for your hard work and dedication. So thank you so much, Read ICA. That is an amazing review. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast itself, as well as our email list so that you're the first to get notifications about new episodes, blogs, and freebies. And as always, we greatly appreciate reviews. So if you would be so kind as to leave us a review in um, for the podcast, it is appreciated. Yes, absolutely. I love what Reed ICA said. Uh, it says, send them on the road to do their best for children with dyslexia. And aren't we always just aiming and striving for that? Absolutely. So thank you to Reed ICA for that review. Love hearing from our listeners. All right. So today, episode two, season three, we are thrilled to have you back. We have so many uh, great episodes about dyslexia already in our library of Together in Literacy podcast episodes. We thought this would be just a great opportunity to open up um, some tips 
for parents, but also for educators too, when discussing dyslexia. So we know that uh, behind the, the whole topic of dyslexia, that it's just such a dynamic field of study. Things mm-hmm. are ever changing and we're learning more and more about the brain all the time. And thanks to books like Overcoming Dyslexia and even the the newer published book, Conquering Dyslexia, those are two just wonderful books, I think, to have in hand, whether you're a parent caregiver, educator, school admin, to really get a core understanding of what dyslexia is, the research behind it, and the recommendations for uh, remediation. So those are two books that if you haven't had a chance to pick up, just are so great to have in your library or to even have in a lending library for families. I know lending libraries are just such a great resource to open up in perhaps your school buildings, even a little section in the public library on dyslexia awareness, right? Okay. So what we, we, this episode is sort of two parts. So the first part is to discuss when families and caregivers, when parents are coming to us with this uh, new diagnosis, uh, what are some tips that we can give them? At the beginning, we know it is uh, a very overwhelming uh, diagnosis to receive. This, you may have a parent coming to you with having just received that news. From a personal perspective, I have had a range of emotions come to me when those parents first get that diagnosis. I've had families come to me in tears. I've had families come to me with a very, very big sense of relief. It really it, it really varies. But what we do want to do at the beginning when we're discussing this with families is understand that from being in their shoes, there is a maybe a great deal of anxiety and worry about what the future of their child's learning journey is going to look like. Mm -hmm. I even was speaking with my boy's barber one day in the barber (laughs) shop. Dyslexia comes up everywhere, guys. Like really, it really does. Soccer field, you you know, it just, you just never know. So we're in the barber shop and their barber just said, we just got a diagnosis for my son does this mean he's never going to go to college? Like, does this mean he's just not going to be smart at all? He was so concerned. He was so worried. And I, first of all, was so grateful that he opened up to me and and gave me the, the privilege of being able to speak with him and reassure him. But it just, that is just such a common reaction to people who just, you know, aren't really sure what the outcomes are going to be. There's a lot yeah. of unknowns. So we think really appreciating that at the very beginning and helping them to recognize like those are just totally normal feelings to have. And also to transition from that, recognizing that they're about to get probably a great deal or maybe already have of paperwork and that paperwork and the terminology and the educational jargon really starts to feel like another 
having another job. And sure, at the heart of this all, they, they're doing it because they want to help their, their child, right? But at the same time, things feel uh, very muddy at first because they're navigating meetings and times and dates. So I, in what we recommend is really guiding them from the beginning with, I guess, knowing that, all right, these are some feelings you're going to have. The, the You're about to get some paperwork. So here's some ways to stay organized with all of that. Whether that mean like a file, hanging file folder system, a big binder. I know parents like to yeah. have big binders for all this stuff. We had a great episode from season one from a legal perspective. We had our guest Sabrina Axt and she was great for parent advocacy work. And so uh, she, as I know, has such a great, personal story, but has mm -hmm. um, some good tips to offer. So I'd definitely go back to that one. But yes, I think just first recognizing that, yeah, this is going to feel like another job at first. Yeah, when you it think really does. Think? I agree. Yeah, it, it can be really overwhelming. And I think by the time that parents come to us, as you said, with that new diagnosis, they have a lot of questions. And sometimes just pausing and listening to their concerns so that they really feel heard. I met with a parent today and she broke down in tears at one point and said, this is the first time I feel really seen and heard. And I think just in the hustle bustle, sometimes remembering to give parents time to process the information, to understand what this new diagnosis is, what it's going to look like for their children, and that it really is a journey. So some other tools that I like Sabrina gave us some fabulous information in that season one, episode 16. Some other resources, understood.org has some great things that parents can print out for creating like a binder system and things like that to just help organize all of the paperwork that comes with a diagnosis and then rights law as well as another resource. So helping parents, you know, kind of understanding that this is a journey. I think that's an important role that we can take as educators and just sort of walking this journey with them. And so some things that we can do is, and Emily had mentioned two fabulous books, Overcoming Dyslexia and Conquering Dyslexia. Those are two that I always recommend to parents on this new journey. They really help shed some light on what dyslexia is, as well as demystifying some of the things that we still hear about dyslexia. And also keeping in mind that, you know, dyslexia can be hereditary. So you may have some parents who, when you show them the overcoming dyslexia book, that may cause like a <laughs> internal panic, right? So remembering that we can have audiobooks or being mindful of some other trusted videos, podcasts, and things like that to help parents understand dyslexia better. One of my favorite videos that I like, and Emily, I don't know if you've seen this one, but is the What is Dyslexia by Kelly Sandman Hurley. I love it's that been around one. for a very long time. I love it. I love it too. I think it it just really represents for parents in a very easy way to digest what dyslexia is. Um, so that's a great one. We also are, Emily and I are firm believers in saying dyslexia. We in fact have a whole episode dedicated to that in season two. Um, <laughs> all about the power of saying dyslexia. So, you know, kind of 
moving away from that stigma or, you know, whispering, oh, dyslexia or not saying the word, like using the word dyslexia and understanding what that means can be really empowering. Yes, that was episode 2.9, The Power of Saying Dyslexia. I love that episode. Uh, something that stood out to me earlier, Casey, was just when you were mentioning that mom that kind of broke down to you. I think mm-hmm. that so often these families, it begins with a gut instinct Yeah, that there's something not right. And they follow their gut. And it's sometimes met with some kickback. Or mm-hmm. everything's fine. Let's wait and see. All of those feelings that are sort of um, discounting what that gut instinct is still gnawing at you and telling you. Yeah. And so when they have that diagnosis officially, that power of feeling seen, heard, recognized mm-hmm. is, I'm sure, such a release. Yeah. That thank you. Someone is finally validating what I have known for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So uh, let's not ever underestimate that, that, that whole gut instinct that officially becomes validated when that diagnosis is made. Yep. Okay. Uh, the next tip, so we're on number three here is how to really remain not just begin, but to remain in communication with the school. We know that a team approach is going to be the most effective. However, that is not always in the favor of the families because in the public education system, they have rules that they are following and guidelines and that they have to adhere to when putting together an IEP. And there are things that may come up in testing reports that may not be supported by eligibility in some ways, unfortunately, for services. And that becomes problematic and can negatively affect the way families and schools can communicate with one another openly. And so things can potentially become rather contentious. Mm -hmm. So I think keeping that open and honest communication as as carefully as you can, also educating yourself with books like and websites like the ones from Rights Law, Mm -hmm. knowing your child's rights, knowing your rights as a parent and a caregiver, and really keeping what we lovingly refer to as the paper trail of communication. We have heard so many advocates say this over the years. If you don't write it down, it's like it never happened. Yeah. And we can't, we really, that is, I can't agree with that more. If you don't write things down, whether it was a phone conversation or a conversation in passing, it's like it never happened. So just that having that paper trail and recording and jotting things down and becoming a copious note taker is going to be in, is only going to help your communication process. Absolutely. 
I agree 100%. And I think that kind of circles back to that first tip, right, of recognizing that there is some huge amount of paperwork. And part of that is tracking communication. And so one of the things that I've done in the past at the center here is I've had like parent workshops, and we've actually built our binders, our communication binders, and showing like how we have tabs, what should we keep in this binder, what actually do I need to keep as documentation, Um, And I have parents also include jotting down and keeping track of how long homework is taking and, you know, drawing a line on that homework, making a copy of that and putting that in there so that we can track to show for those accommodations why we may need extra time or reduced amount of homework sent. So it's all, it is like an extra job, as Emily said, but it really is part of that progress monitoring, you know, teachers are doing their due diligence and they're keeping their progress monitoring on growth. And I think for us, you know, who are working in the private practice field, whether we're tutors, therapists, if we're walking alongside with the families, we can work together to really make sure that we are keeping track of what's happening outside of the school, how that, how the school and the academic components are impacting our work outside of the school. So keeping track of how much homework time, keeping track of communication, all of those things within your binders. Oh my goodness. I love that workshop idea. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. That's (laughs) like one of those cool make and takes everybody. Yeah. Communication binder. I love that. All the centers or tutors did that, right? And families must really feel so empowered when they leave that. Yeah, they feel really supported. And I feel like, you know, they're no longer just kind of like looking around, wondering what they're supposed to do. They have a plan. They have something that they can put into action to help their child. I love it. So great. So another thing to kind of piggyback on that is, you know, for us as educators, we really want to speak to parents, of course, about the impacts of dyslexia on academics. But we also want to be aware of and recognize and speak to parents about the impacts that can exist in dyslexia beyond those academic components. And think about some ways that we can provide support, right? Asking parents, again, filling in their documentation, right? Are there behavioral things? Are we starting to see meltdowns? Are we starting to see some refusal of work? And really looking at that impact that our dyslexia is having on anxiety, on behaviors and things like that, so that we really can create the best plan to put into action for our students, remembering the child as a whole and not just this particular area that they're having challenges with. So some great episodes that we've had in the past, um, and these are probably two of my favorite episodes because they're coming from the child perspective. So we had Hope. She had worked with me and she was speaking to us as a graduate um, from high school. And so she was really amazing in, in looking back and reflecting on her own journey. And she was so lovely in sharing that with us. So that's in season one, uh, episode seven. I think that is worth listening to, to sort of hear what she took away from her work in dyslexia therapy and how she bridged that into her life. And then the other episode is with Ryan Poole. He 
was another one, a senior who talked to us about his journey as well. And both looked at how dyslexia impacted them, not just in the academic realm, but also in their social emotional development, how it impacted them beyond the classroom. Yeah. So both of those really, I think if you're a, a parent or caregiver that's new to even learning about dyslexia mm-hmm. or wondering how things look in the long run, yeah. I think both of those stories are are just fantastic to listen to, to feel inspired by, to uh, imagine the potential because uh, yeah. both really have in their own way, something very, very special behind their mm-hmm. stories and their journeys. And so we are so grateful to both Hope and Ryan for, um, for those stories. We need, we need to hear more of them. We definitely yeah, do. We do. And I think, you know, I always recommend that my parents listen to those episodes, mm-hmm. but I also think it's important for us as educators to kind of listen to those because sometimes, and I know that this has happened to me, I get sort of stuck in my bubble of where my child is right now. And right. I feel so fortunate to work in, in, you know, at my practice now where I have like these lifelong connections. So I get to see where the, where my children are as adults. But I remember that when I was in the classroom, I didn't really get to see that to the level that I do now. And so as educators listening to these episodes, it's really empowering to see that impact. And those things like when Hope was describing things and when Ryan was describing things, they were talking about things that they did when they were five and in first grade and in second grade. And and, and they're adults now. And, and so understanding that lasting impact, I think is really empowering and a good reminder for us as educators as well. Right. And we want to hear from Hope and Ryan next yeah. few years to see what wonderful things they're up to. We'll be checking in on both of them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're going to switch gears to the second part of uh, this episode and that is tips for speak for parents when speaking to their child about dyslexia we know that saying dyslexia as we said before is just going to be so important we want to be sure that we're being open and honest with our children because they may be curious about hmm, why is this person uh, doing all these tests with me you know all right. by myself and why am I being taken out of the classroom or or maybe having to leave school for the day to go to this office they have questions too okay so we want to give you some tips for talking with them uh these would be really great for educators as well not just for parents and this is going to vary by age so for our younger children we always say it's the power of the picture book, right? So age-appropriate picture books that can explain what dyslexia is, perhaps have some visuals, can begin to open up the doors of communication. And we have a few picture books that we've recommended. Um, I believe in season one, Casey, we did that. I, yeah. I may have been episode in, around in the beginning, like around maybe the third episode. We we recommended some picture books that we liked. So, but we can link that um, in the show notes for sure. Yeah. But using those picture books with characters that they can relate to, that may have the same questions that they did can begin to see oh okay so it's this thing called dyslexia what's that so I love it when the picture book not only can perhaps create a fictitious 
fictitious character, but also can share facts in a kid-friendly way. So I think that the power of the picture book is that it balances the two out um, so that there's maybe information at the end or sort of intermingled, maybe in the sidebar, something like that. I think that is always um, always really effective. So that is one of the first things if you're dealing with younger children that you'll want to consider. Now, at Casey and I have our big collection <laughs> of picture books that we're always very willing to uh, loan out to families if they want to borrow one. Um, I've had families say, well, you know, what picture book should I start with? And said, you know, and I've given them some to take home and borrow and read. And that has been a wonderful opportunity for them because a lot of times they aren't quite sure how to begin having the discussion. So having a book to read, you know, at, at, after school one day or before bed is, is a great way to start. Yeah, absolutely. And that representation, right. Of, yeah. of being represented in our books. And I, I'm receiving updates on all these new books that are coming out. And I'm so excited about the different representations in connection to dyslexia. So, you know, October is also a Hispanic heritage month and there's a new dyslexia book out by Erica Lopez. Um, maybe we can have her on the show, but it's called the adventures of amazing grace. And it's about dyslexia and it also includes Hispanic language and the culture. It's just really lovely. And Descartes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But there's a lot of different representations. And I love also that, you know, yes, picture books. And I use picture books with my younger students and my older students. But I also love that we're starting to see more chapter books for older students that have dyslexic representation. So when talking with our older students, right, we, we want to honor their journey and their age and and their experience that they've had. And one of the things that Emily and I've spoken to in previous episodes and throughout our our conversations is really bringing that our older children into the journey, because our goal is for them to be self-advocates. And so in order for them to do that, they really need to have an understanding of dyslexia. They need to have an understanding of their IEP or what their 504 says, what their testing indicates both in the areas of strength and in the areas of uh, that they're still growing. And we had Katie Vassar, an educational diagnostician on last season, I think it was uh, season two, episode 14. Mm-hmm. And she really spoke about this journey and how, and the importance of bringing students into a deeper understanding of what those diagnostic measures tell them. And then in 2.4, we also talked, we had a whole episode dedicated to working with older children. So if you do, if you are someone that's working with older children, you may want to check those out. Um, or if you are a parent of older children on this journey, because it, it may look a little bit different than working with your younger children. So again, bringing older children into that conversation, there's some really great documentaries out there and some interviews that you can watch with your child and then have some conversations about dyslexia. You know, Emily and I really believe in helping demystify dyslexia for our children. And so conversations, open dialogue is is really key for both older and younger students. Casey, I was thinking about even our own children that I don't know about yours, but mine know what mom does 
Yeah. Yeah, um, mine do too. And even sharing those books with them is yes. actually just so, so powerful. And yeah. I'm going to be super honest with our listeners. I haven't had a chance actually to read them very often with my own kids. And so note to self, I'm going to do that and see what discussions they have. Oh, I love what that. Think? I love it. My kids, they come to the center often and they love to, to play teacher, of course. And, and, yeah. but they all, they'll talk about dyslexia and ask questions about what it is and what does that mean? And, and things like that. And then my littlest one, she'll, she'll use the word phonics sometimes. And yes, dyslexia and science is not all about phonics, but in her, you know, she's a first grader. So <laughs> she's it's still learning easy for them. Right. Yeah. And she, and that's what she'll say. She's, she'll say like phonics is a simple word for helping me learn how to read and those sounds and letters. And so it's just so cute to have just widening everyone's understanding and awareness and really taking away any stigmas that may still exist surrounding dyslexia, um, I think is so important. So opening up conversations with our children, with our children, whether our children are neurodivergent or not and having those. Conversations. Yeah, I think one of the most powerful conversations and my kids were curious, well, mom, can, can people with dyslexia learn how to read? Mm -hmm. And we've had that conversation a few times and they said, absolutely. So, and talking about how, you know, sometimes they just need um, some different types of strategies or, you know, there may be things that mom does that's um, you know, give them a little extra practice and, you know, in kid-friendly language, yeah. but just demystifying that or clearing up myths that they may have. Uh, I think is there, mine are all in elementary school ages as Casey's are. I think just, mm -hmm. I love the idea of classroom teachers opening up the conversation in class meetings yeah. and, you know, starting with a book like, thank you, Mr. Fokker, right? That was one of the first picture books I always read with my third graders at the beginning of the year. So I think that just talking with kids, whether they yeah have that, that neurodivergency or not. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then I think that kind of springboards us into the next conversation really about yeah. those, those types of books that we're reading with our students. We can talk about how recognizing our own areas that of struggle and every single person on this planet has areas of struggle and they may look different and, and having conversations about that, or, or, you know, some, some of our struggles may be visible to others and some might not and having conversations about that so that students don't feel so alone and thinking that they're the only ones that are perhaps struggling. And then the flip side of that is recognizing and highlighting the strengths in each child. And thinking beyond just the academic strengths that are often highlighted within schools and thinking about how can we highlight or, you know, support and, and nurture strengths in all areas, not just right. in the academic areas. Right. And this is where our discussion and Casey and I have discussed this term before, but this is where the term firefly children mm -hmm. comes up right and they glow from within it, you may not be able to always see those hidden strengths but they they are there and they do come out in a variety of beautiful 
ways. One of my students loves exploring with just wildlife and nature and using a drone and trying to get imagery that way. Mm -hmm. Another one really wanted to be you know, that junior zookeeper and had lots of facts to share. Another one, you know, a total athlete. And so, you know, having a photo of a famous soccer athlete with a little speech bubble that said, go so-and-so, you know, to put that on the cover of her binder, that was, oh my gosh, just that little messaging that. that I put on there for her. Her mom was like, you have no idea what that meant. <laughs> you made that, printed out that photo. Like, hey, you know, like just helping them and seeing that, yes, I, I see you. I see right. the strengths that you have and your dyslexia is not defining you. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. And then I think one, one more thing to kind of keep in mind for parents is, you know, finding that balance between getting the students the help that they need, right? We don't want to wait. If your student has a diagnosis of dyslexia, waiting is not going to aid your child. So no. whether we are getting help within the schools or outside of the schools or both, I think that that is really important. And then also trying to find that balance between that intervention and then those strengths. So it's a little bit right. of a balancing act, but, but yes. the waiting, waiting is not going to benefit our, our students. Right. And I've had families over the years that I've worked with and there have been seasons where there have, whether it's been a, a sports, a school play, a science fair competition that have come up that we know these kids are just yeah. super passionate about. And we want to get, we don't want to take that experience away because, uh, you know, maybe some therapy sessions that are, that are also conflicting. So yes, it is always a balancing act, but uh, Casey and I just really appreciate that and want to be so you know, want to make those things happen for our students just as much as we want them to be successful in their reading because the dyslexia intervention is it's not just about the academic piece there as this podcast is there's always that big social emotional piece with it and we know that the areas of strength that these children are finding or they're becoming little experts on may very passionately become a career someday. And we want to, in every way we can, foster and nurture that for them. Absolutely. Okay. So to wrap up today, we hope that the tips that we've provided have maybe offered some new and fresh perspectives, something you may haven't hadn't tried before. Please keep in mind that sure, October is an amazing time to be spreading dyslexia awareness. And there's so many ways that you could do that. But the awareness is all year long, right? And it's it's not something we can give up on. We, uh, but we could definitely use October to um, highlight that time. A few things we'd like to mention. So I will leave a link in the show notes and in the blog post to some freebies that I've collected over the years curated by the Literacy Nest. One is uh, a calendar. So each day of the month, there's something you can do to learn about dyslexia. 
I wrote down as we were recording this that I need to update some of the activities to do in that calendar to include together in literacy things. Okay, so I am, if you've had that calendar in the past, I am going to update it so that our podcast is in there. And um, also there is a Dyslexia Awareness Bulletin Board set that's totally free. Um, a few other things, there's the virtual classroom that has audiobooks in there, lots of different things that all free once again, just so the link will be there to that. And Casey, how about you? You have something you wanted to mention as well. Oh yeah. I also have some, some freebies. Um, I have some dyslexia awareness freebie posters that I've seen teachers hang in their classrooms, parents have put in bedrooms, things like that. I'll make sure the link to those are available as well. So yes. And we thank you so much for taking the time to spread awareness as Casey and I enjoy doing um, on the podcast. And um, Absolutely. Casey, Casey, yeah. what do we, what would we love our listeners to do as we wrap up? <laughs> yes. So if you like the podcast, again, we would really appreciate if you would please subscribe to the podcast, wherever you are listening to the episodes. Um, and then also make sure that you subscribe to our email list so that you get those notifications. That's where, you know, we have those links to our blog and those freebies and things like that. And then as always, reviews are greatly appreciated. They really do mean a lot to us and they really let us know that the Together in Literacy podcast is something that you're enjoying. So, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us today and we will see you next time for episode three in season three of the podcast. See you next time. Bye everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.